0: All right. Let's continue in our subject. Our day has gone very quickly because we know the time in Colorado Springs moves at a more rapid pace. I think it's because of our relationship to Pike Peak. It's Pike's Peak. I love that mountain. Whenever I come down here, just uh, it's so beautiful. And this morning we got up early and the sun was on it. Oh, it was just magnificent. The creation and the power of God. We're looking at that marvelous statement in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, which I hope you'll never forget now. Be steadfast. When the winds are against you and the ocean is against you, be steadfast and be unmovable. Be like Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. Look that song up on the Internet. And if you have children, sing it for them. They should learn that song. It's a marvelous song. It's a great tune. And now we're looking at a very positive way to be steadfast and unmovable and to claim our victory, and that is this, you must fill your mind and your heart with the things of God. God wants you to grow. There is a very dreadful disease called Syndrome X. And it's a disease in which a child grows from one to four and then... Ages but never grows in body or mind. And so a 29-year-old man has the body of a 10-year-old or in the mind of a 5-year-old. Or an or 11-year-old girl has, weighs uh, 12 pounds. It's a, it's a terrible, dreadful disease. Syndrome X. Many men are suffering from Syndrome X. They get saved. Maybe they grow for a year or two. Excited about the Bible. Excited about the church. Hearing the Word of God preached. And they stop. That's it. The next 20, 30 years, they do not grow. That is not the will of God. You are to grow strong in the Lord. You are to know the living and true God. He's opened His Word to you. He wants you to know all these marvelous things about Him. You're going to spend eternity with Him. So, by growing and learning and changing, you will be able to stand against the secular tsunami that's coming at you. Now, let's look at 1 Peter 2 2. We're continuing what we've done here. It's our fifth verse. 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Peter says, like newborn infants. Anyone here with a newborn infant in the home or a grandchild? Raise your hand. Newborn infants. Well, there's one thing you learn about newborn infants. If you don't feed them. Ah! Doesn't matter what time of day or night. Doesn't care. They want to be fed. They want that milk. And this is what he says here like newborn infants so every time you see a, new, a newborn infant you say got to be just like him just like him like newborn infants long for crave the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation it takes your whole life to learn about this salvation many many dimensions to the penal substitutionary work of Christ it's all illustrated through the whole old testament we see it enacted in the New Testament, and we see the glories of it in the resurrection. Like newborn baby, babies, we just have this craving, I can't get enough of God's book. I can't get enough of God's book. I don't want to suffer from syndrome X. And then six, Second Peter 3.18, he says this, but grow, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ now there are so many studies today I mean you can't even keep up with them on aging because it's what they call the age wave the whole uh, world is aging and there are whole institutes today a number of them here in the United States studies done on aging because this is going to be the future how do we deal with uh, 10,000 people a day ...in America turning 70 years of age. And these studies are actually very, very interesting. They're very helpful so that you can serve the Lord well into late years. But what they have discovered is this, that in aging, the brain and the body... ...and this has been shown scientifically... If it is exercised, it will continue to grow and produce new nerve cells. In other words, you have to exercise your brain or it naturally at a certain age deteriorates. You have to exercise those muscles in the legs and, and, and the stomach. You have to exercise and they will grow. People in their 90s doing light weightlifting, muscles will grow. If you don't, you atrophy almost immediately. Take a person who spends two weeks in a hospital bed. They can hardly walk after two weeks of lying in bed. The same thing is true spiritually. You must exercise your spiritual muscles. You must exercise your spiritual brain, your heart. You must stay with God and stay in his word so he feeds you every day. The amazing thing about the Bible is how quick we forget the things of God. That's why we refresh ourselves and renew ourselves every single day. We exercise those spiritual muscles and we grow. Someone has said this, says this says this, when you're through learning, you're through. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 12, a very frightening verse. The writer of Hebrews says this, about this we have much to say. If you ever have a question about is the Bible divinely inspired, read the book of Hebrews slowly. I've been uh, months just meditating, not reading the book of Hebrews, meditating through it. Uh, the profundity of that book is incredible, and it's all about Christ. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. The believers that are being written to by the book of Hebrews, they're in serious trouble. Some of them are not going to church anymore. Some of them have gone back on their faith. And this is a serious warning. The problem is they weren't growing. And since they weren't growing they were easy victims to be picked off by false teachers and by just basic spiritual neglect they became dull of hearing the word of god yes they heard it but it had no effect on them anymore and so what happens is you become weak in the faith and the devil knows that. We had a man in our church. He lived to be 102 years of age. And thank God, right to 102, he had his mind. He would teach our seniors up till 99. And then at 99, he said, could you find a younger man, maybe someone around 90, to teach the seniors. This man's 102 years of age, right? So when you're with him, you would think a man 102 years of age, he's going to tell you about all the medications he takes and his hips hurt and his arms hurt and all, the, all of his aches and pains. Every time I'm with this man, Mr. Ed Risto, he, di- he died now. Every time I'm with him, guess what he wants to talk about? New commentaries he's been reading, uh, new preachers he's been listening to, and he wants to know some things you've learned. 102 years of age and he's still learning, still growing, still teaching, still reading his uh, daughter-in-law would say he get in his big easy chair and he'd read for hours. And uh, he was, he was uh, being renewed every day at 102, not sitting around complaining. My dear friends, growing Christians influence others. If you're not growing, you're not excited about the Lord and his word, uh, you cannot pass that on to others. If you're not excited about the Lord, you cannot excite others about the Lord. To me, one of the most encouraging things in life is to see a man in his 60s, his 70s, his 80s, his 90s, 100, still pressing forward for the Lord, learning, growing, excited about Jesus. Many of you may have heard of the famous E. Stanley Jones, 50 years of missionary in India. And Before he died, he wrote a, a biography, but I just want to read one little section. Now, this is a man in his 80s. The song I sing is a light song. Not the temporary exuberance of youth that often fades when middle age or old age sets in with their disillusionments and cynicism. No, I am 83 years of age and I am more excited today about being a Christian than when I was 18 years of age and I first put my feet on the way. He's more excited at 83 for being a Christian than at 18. I'd say he's a growing Christian, growing Christian. We need a vision for growing, for strengthening, for learning, for changing, and not be our same old irritable selves, dealing with sins, dealing with problems that have just haunted us for years. Let me give you some real quick practical ideas for growth. You believe this, but what should we do? So let me give you some practical things. First of all, number one, I believe it will be on the screen here. Yes, oh, there it is. Pray for their desire to grow and mature. Pray about this. Now, I'll tell you why you have to pray about it. After Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God. They didn't want to talk to God. They put on their own spiritual clothes, uh, covering up their sin and guilt. Ever since, we've been hiding from God, and spiritual things are hard. Now, did you ever notice that you could watch football or the Broncos for three, three and a half hours. Or maybe you watch the Cubs game and you sit there for hours. No problem. No problem. Or maybe you have an interesting novel and you sit an hour or two with it, reading it. No problem. Or your favorite movie, you watch it. Trying to read the Bible for three hours. <laughs> oh, my neck. My neck. Oh, my eyes. I think they're bleeding. Oh, you know. Oh, I just feel faint right now. My, I'm getting a headache. Uh... My back, oh, it hurts. You sit and read the Bible for three hours. Oh, it hurts. Right? Is that not true? How about trying to pray for a half hour? Oh, oh, I just don't have the time. And if I did, you know, I could pass out. You don't know. I haven't eaten enough today. And yet the things of the world are so easy. You see, this is a a, a problem, being in a fallen world, that spiritual things are hard. And that's why we don't progress spiritually so well we can progress in other areas of life but not in spiritual things and so you need to pray that you will not lose your zeal for the bible your thirst for learning great doctrine of the faith and learning about world missions so you're going to have to pray about this lord give me the zeal give me the passion make me like that newborn baby just crazed for the milk of the word that i love to read the bible I love to be with God's people. I love to serve the Lord Jesus. I love to serve his people. You have to pray about it. It's not natural to us. We are spiritually lazy at heart. And I think, particularly men, I think the facts show this that women are more spiritually sensitive than we men. And that's why women's Bible studies are full, men's Bible studies, not too many uh, attend. Second, Protect your prayer life. I believe one of the great problems we're facing today is hyper busyness. Actually, we are more busy than any other generation. We've got things like emails and Facebook and cell phones. And and I I see the generation of my father. He could take uh, two weeks off from work and uh, no one would bother him. I watch my son-in-laws. They cannot take more than a week off and they must be connected all the time. I see how busy they are. It's a different world today, and we live in this manic busyness, uh overcommitted, overburdened with work, everything moving at high speed, it destroys the spiritual life. In fact, I call it the new idolatry. Too busy to pray, too busy for God, too busy to sit in his presence. So Protect your prayer life. Do practical things to make sure you have time with God. And that might mean turning the TV set off. Protect your Bible reading time. Now, you see, the Bible is God's food. It's God speaking to you and keeping you on track. There is a verse of Scripture. It's Luke 10, uh, 42. And it's the story of Mary and Martha. Every time we see Mary, she's at the Lord's feet. And Jesus came to their home. He's in the home with them. The 12 are with him. And uh, Martha's in the kitchen. You know the story. Rattling pots and pans. Busy about many things. And where's Mary? Well, she was in the kitchen. The text shows that she was in the kitchen. But she said, enough is enough. And she's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him talk. Wouldn't that be something? Actually being in a house sitting on the floor just listening to the greatest teacher who ever lived with absolute truth from the very mouth of God the Father. And Martha got very aggravated with her sister, and she actually rebukes the Lord. She says, Lord, don't you care about me? I'm out in the kitchen. I'm preparing the meal for you. My sister's out here, lazy thing, listening to you teach. And now our Lord makes a judgment on this. He says, Martha, Martha, you're, you're busy about many things and you're anxious about many things. Mary has, cho- has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken from her. Now, what's the good portion that will not be taken from her? Sitting at Christ's feet, listening to his word. Now, my dear brothers, we are to do the exact same thing as Mary did and we'll get the same commendation." How do we sit at his feet listening to his word? The way is to have an old-fashioned word, quiet time. The most precious part of my day, now it's Saturday morning. I want to tell you what I would normally do on a Saturday morning. You have ruined my Saturday morning. (laughs) I get up very early, make my tea, have some toast with peanut butter, and I go down to my study. And no one's up yet. And I have, I've been meditating through Hebrews. It's quiet. There's something about quietness that enhances your sensitivity to the Spirit as you read the Word. And then I have a little 3 by 5 card, and I, I don't rush. I go very slow. And I meditate. Not just, I'm not just reading. I'm meditating on the book of Hebrews. And I, I write some little notes down of things, and then I have it typed up later. And that time is sitting, literally, literally sitting at Christ's feet, listening to his word. And that will never be taken away from me. It's the good portion of my day. It's when I refuel the tank. It's when I gain new knowledge. It's when I hear from the Lord. It's when I get my own life straightened out. And what you want is to get to the point in life where you do not want to miss that. You don't want it to be just a discipline. If it's a discipline, do it. But you want to get to the point that you don't want to miss your time with Christ in His Word. It's a supernatural book. It's written by the Holy Spirit. This isn't just men's thoughts. What do I want to read men's thoughts for? They're all so goofed up. This is the very Word of God, and it will do everything I need for my my life. So... Protect your time at sitting with Christ's feet. Refuel your, refresh your soul. Renew your soul every day. Get to the point where it is something, when you miss it, you really feel you miss something. Luke 10.42, write it down. Luke 10.42, Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken from her. Whatever is crowding out, time with Christ, time in silence. You know, we, we hear a lot from sociologists, and a lot of things they say are true. One is we're suffering from news, uh, uh, noise pollution, noise pollution. Quietness is very important. It relaxes your soul. It calms you. And then when you're in the Word of God, it feeds you, and it, it's actually changing you. You're, you're being transformed by the supernatural Word of God. So guard your Bible-reading time together. And then listen to audio messages. This is a great way to learn. If you will do this in four or five years, you will have a full Bible school education. If you in the car will play CDs from Bible teaching ministry like you have here, good Bible teaching ministry, I guarantee you, in four to five years, if you will just consistently do this, and you can do it at other times, but you're in a car, you're sitting in traffic, you spend a lot more time in a car than you realize, some of you a lot of time, if you will listen to the word preached, you will really grow, and you will learn. This is what you want to do. Listen to great preachers. They're they're spirit-gifted men, Ephesians 4.11. They're equipping you for your service. Because you're to build up the body of Christ, every member, together. But when you're listening to the word taught, you are being prepared for your ministry. Now, I have to make a confession right now. For many years, I was a tapeaholic. I was. And I would say, maybe 25 years, I wouldn't go anyplace without my Bible tapes listening to the word preached. Now, I just want to give you my opinion about something. Start with Romans. Romans is the one letter that systematically puts the whole gospel together and the Christian life. You need to master the book of Romans. So when I'm teaching and training men, we start with Romans. And I tell them, you are to master this book. You are to, in your mind, be able to outline it. It outlines very clearly the theology, the vocabulary. It's the center of Christianity. So you want to grow? You want to be strong in the Lord? You want to fight the tsunami? You want to be able to say no to the world? Then start with Romans. That's a good starting point. Now, you do need to know the whole Bible. You need to know the storyline. But it's a good place to start. You can now, today, download the greatest preachers that have graced this world and free, have them at your disposal. So use the audio ministry. And you can do it at home. Uh, when You can discipline yourself that every night you listen to a 45-minute message and have your Bible open. And you will grow. Because Christ wants you to grow. You know why? He wants you to be like Him. He doesn't want you to be like the devil. He wants you to live like Him. Then go to good conferences. Conferencing is very important. Many years ago, conferencing was a way that people in little smaller churches would get to hear great preachers meet brothers and sisters. A conference like this is important. You're actually experiencing something very important right now. You are being equipped for your ministry. Ephesians 4, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible on the plan for the local church. As you are being taught by spirit-gifted teachers, you are being prepared for your ministry to build up the body of Christ. And then raise your consciousness about the world around you. I say this because every one of us have the, has the great commission upon our hearts. Our Lord's mark, final marching orders were disciple all nations, baptizing them. See, you're baptizing believers. Believers need to be baptized. Never underestimate that. It's your public confession, and Christ has commanded it. I meet people all the time, born again, but they've never been baptized. That's part of the Great Commission. Part of discipling them to see them baptized. And then, get this, teach them to obey. Obey, not just knowledge in the head. Follow everything I've commanded you. That's the full Great Commission. Now, I bring this up. Because the world is changing very rapidly now. Anyone who's a world uh, watcher or a missions watcher will tell you things are moving quickly and changing quickly. We need to have a vision for the world and for the gospel getting out to the world. Whatever's happening throughout the world right now is affecting our missionaries and the gospel. Now, you need big vision, not little vision, big vision. So I meet Christians and I don't want to watch the news. Now, the reason I watch the news is because... I'm a Great Commission Christian. I'm a globalist, internationalist. That's the command Christ gave. So we need to know what's going on in the world. We need the vision of our missionaries and the gospel getting to people who haven't gotten it yet. So broaden yourself, enlarge your vision, be concerned about world missions. It's part of our mandate, it's not an option. It's a mandate of the church, and every believer is to be involved in some way. Watch for distractions. Watch for distractions. It has been said over and over again by sociologists, we are in the age of distractions. Never in human history have there been so many distractions. You've got sports. You've got amusements endless. Um, You've got so many things to do that we can get distracted from the main thing, sitting at Christ's feet, growing, getting that gospel out. You've got to guard against distractions. You need to sit down with a brother or sister, or you need to sit down with your spouse and say, are we focused? Are we going someplace? Are we going in 50 directions? This is a big thing today. Many distractions and many of the distractions come with these tools that I spoke about, the internet. I had a, a man who's an elder in a church. I mean, this is, this is like a part-time job, I mean, shepherding the flock of God. And he told me, I don't even know why he told me this. I wouldn't even admit this. He's braver than me or dumb. I putter on the computer. This is what he tells me. I putter on the computer. There's a man who's going to get in trouble. I putter. You don't have time to putter, by the way. You're a servant of the living God. You're to be building the body of Christ. You're to be growing in Christ. You're a busy person. Get with it. Don't get distracted by all the foolish distractions. And then eight, be concerned about your ongoing education as a Christian man. Really think about this. Am I growing? Am I learning? Am I, as Paul said to Timothy, I want everyone to see your spiritual progress. You shouldn't have a goal that in a year or two, your wife and your children will say, Dad, what's going on in your life? You just seem to be new. You just seem to be happier. You seem to be giving us so much to think about. Well, kids, I've been progressing in the faith. I've been sitting at Christ's feet. He's just filling me full of great things. Grow. Grow. Be passionate about growth. Be passionate about reading. You say, I'm not a good reader. You can learn to be a better reader. You can listen to CDs. If you're not a good reader, you can listen to the word preached. But you've got to have a plan. you got to have a program. You've got to know where you're going. So get a goal. Talk to some of your, your leaders here in the church. If you don't know where to go or where to start, ask them. I'm saying start with Romans. Download some good series and start there so that when you have time, it's amazing how much you can accomplish. A little 15-minute unit there. Ten unit of time there. I never go any place without a book or without work with me. I'll often go to a restaurant. People show up late. They don't even show up. They forget. It doesn't bother me. I just open my books and get going again. I go to the airport. Two hour late, three hour late. Everyone's screaming and yelling. I just open my books and get going again. Great new. I got more time to, to study and learn. So be a student. Be a learner. Be a person like the new little infant craving The pure milk of the word. Now, fourth, the main fourth thing, the second exhortation. Be stable, be unmovable. That was the first exhortation. But now here's the second exhortation. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, there's an emphasis here on the word abounding. The word has the idea of excelling more and more. Paul uses this concept in other places. You have love? Excel more and more. In fact, it's to the people who have love that he says, I want you to excel more in it. It's like if I had a hose and I had a barrel here and I start filling the barrel up and it gets full and I stop. But no, excel more. Just keep putting more water in. Let it overflow. Let it abound. So he's saying here, always excelling more and more in the work of the Lord. Now, this goes along with Ephesians chapter 4, which I just quoted to you, that the Lord gives certain gifts, they're all teaching gifts, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The body of Christ cannot grow unless every member, grow healthily unless every member is involved. Now, my brothers, this is a marvelous thing that God has called us to his work, and we are to be working always. And abounding and excelling and overflowing more and more in his work. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this. We are God's workmanship. That's beautiful. He's crafting us. We're his people. And he's got a goal for us to be like his son. He wants to sanctify us in this life. More and more sanctified like Christ. So that people look at us and they go... There's something really different about that person. Now, we're created in Christ Jesus as the new creation for good works. Now, good works don't save us, but good works is what we're saved on, too. We have fruit to bear for God. In fact, John 15 says, It pleases the Father that we bear much fruit, not a little bit of fruit, much fruit, which God prepared beforehand. Notice the obedient believer that we should walk in them. So God has laid out for us a life of good works. We're to be busy for Christ. One scholar put it well when he said this, and listen carefully to this. The functioning of the body requires and is equally dependent on those who are not leaders. In other words, yes, we need our leaders, but we put too much on them. Every member ministry is what we should call it. This is actually a very exciting doctrine. It's really the doctrine of the body of Christ. There are different metaphors for the church. Not one word can describe the word church, ecclesia. So the Bible gives us many metaphors, like the household, the light, the flock, the priesthood. One of the metaphors for the church, and it's a reality also, is the body of Christ. And Paul loves the analogy of the body. There's only one body, right? I only have one body. But it has all different members. Fingers and hands and liver and toes and some hair. Ears and eyes and and mouth. Many members of the body. But all the members got to work together for a healthy body. And every member has to be functioning. They can't contradict one another and fight one another and say, I don't need you. Now he loves that analogy because the body of Christ means that every, every member is functioning. So we believe in this doctrine, and it's a relevant, exciting doctrine, every member ministry. Some people called our leaders have the ministry of building us up, preparing us, teaching us, so our ministry is for fruitful ministry and proper ministry and we're not getting into false teaching. You have a place in the body of Christ, and the body cannot be healthy unless every member is functioning. I can tell you something about a church because I've worked all my life in the church. No group of men can do all that needs to be done. It's not possible. You just drive them right into the ground. A healthy church is a church where every member's functioning, particularly the men, as household heads. That you take ownership of this church for the building of this church or whatever church you go to. You take ownership for it. And if you don't know what to do, you go to the leaders of your church and you say, Where's my place in this body? I have a place in this body. What is my ministry in this body? I'm being prepared for it. This is an exciting doctrine. Every member ministry, Jesus Christ has created us unto good works which he prepared beforehand and now you have to walk in it. In other words, you have to live it. Every member ministry. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 10 and 11. As each has received the gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards, notice you're you going to be judged by this, of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Every member has a spiritual gift. And that gift is to be used to serve other people. Can you imagine a church where every single member takes ownership for the church and seeks ways to serve others, to encourage others, to bless others, to teach others? We call this one-anothering. The church is to be a one-anothering place. Listen to just a few of these one-anothering statements. Every single member of God's household is responsible for encouraging one another, praying for one These are right out of the Bible. Praying for one another, exhorting one another, serving one another, admonishing one another, teaching one another, building up one another, caring for one another, loving one another, the overarching one. Now, here's one I really love. I love this. It comes to my mind weekly. Bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ of love. Bearing one another's burdens. Now, imagine being in a church where we're one anothering and we're serving one another. We're encouraging one another. We're looking out for one another. We're praying for one another. Comforting one another. Now get this. Bearing one another's burdens. And we fulfill the law of love which Christ has given us. John thirteen thirty four and 35. What an encouraging place to be. Churches can be very hostile places. They can be very proud. They're very cold. That's not God's will. A church should be warm and inviting with every member responsible for one anothering. Every member in the body of Christ. Men, take your place in the household of God. Take your place in the body. And if you don't have a place, find it. There is a place for you. There's much work to be done. Let me assure you, we'll never get it all done. You have a place in the body. Take your place. Take your responsibility. Keep growing, keep learning so that you can do the work that God has pre-prepared for you. A lifestyle zealous for good works, bearing fruit to God. A Christian who chooses to be a spectator, to show up once a week at one hour for church service, is not walking in good works, and is basically walking in disobedience. God has work for you to do. Take that work. Do that work. Enjoy that work. Now, here's why. Our fifth point, the motivation. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So he writes here, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. This is the concluding motivation. You want to be steadfast. You want to be immovable. You want to be excelling more and more in the work of the Lord because you have a place. And now you know something very important. Your labor for Christ, it's not vain. There's a lot of things you'll do in life that is vain. Really a basic waste of time. It counts nothing for eternity. But here he is saying, don't waste your life. Because when you serve and abound in the work of the Lord, it's something of great meaning. Uh, It's something valuable. It's purposeful work. I can say this from a lifetime of serving the Lord. I wouldn't want to do anything else. You have a job. Even your job, whatever your employment, remember you're doing that as unto the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6 makes that very clear. You're not doing it as unto man. You're doing it for the Lord. You're serving the Lord right there at your job. You're a light on your job. You're going to do a good job. You're going to be one of the best employees because you represent Jesus Christ on the job. And God has put you there. You have a niche no one else has. So your job is the will of God. You know, we often think the main target is being full-time as a missionary. No, the main target is where God puts you. And if he puts you in a factory, if he puts you on a, on a crew that works outside, if he puts you in an office, that is the center of the target of the will of God. And there is where you serve Christ. You're not actually serving the boss, you're serving Christ. And you're actually going to be judged for what you do at work. And so even your secular work, as we call it, becomes meaningful and purposeful because you're doing it for Christ. You're doing it for eternity. But you've got you another eight hours a day. What do you do with that? It can be wasted so easily, so easily. Years could go by, and it's wasted. There's a place for you in the work of God in building the body of Christ, and you are going to find that work meaningful, fruitful, And you're going to find that work rewarding in life. And you're going to say it's not in vain. In fact, many people see Paul's statement that he was a tent maker, that they are tent makers. I have my tent making ministry so that I can serve the Lord. And I can give to others. The Lord's work is fruitful, meaningful work. You'll never be sorry. The Lord's no man's debtor. When you serve Christ, you are not serving self. Just, we have a little time, turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If I was forced into giving one verse that would be a life verse, I don't because every time I get a life verse, I wind up changing it, want another life verse. So, but if you forced me into a life verse, do or die, I would have to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. It constrains us. He's not talking about his love for Christ. He's talking about Christ's love for him. When you understand how much Jesus Christ did for you, how much he loves you, he says this, it's the controlling force in my life. It's the motivating power in my life. The Corinthians got so mixed up, they actually thought Paul was a little kooky. You read that just in a verse before that. He says, we're out of our mind, it's out of our mind for you. And the false teachers had said terrible things about him. Paul says, you want to know the driving force in my life? It's Christ's love for me. All he's done for me, what else can I do? That's, that's the motivating force. Now, because we have concluded. In other words, probably on the Damascus Road or sometime after he met the Lord, he made a judgment. He made a conclusion. I hope you've made this conclusion. Here it is. That one has died for all, therefore all have died and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. That's the judgment he made. Is I can't live for myself anymore. It's not about me. But for him who for whose sake died and was raised. Here's the logic. I look at Christ, He died for me, he took my sin, took my judgment, took my place. He's liberated me. I'm a free man today. I'm going to heaven. I can only make one conclusion. I can't live for myself anymore. It's not possible. I must live for him who died for me. So that's biblical logic. We actually live for Christ. If you live for yourself, you're not going to be real happy in life. You're going to be miserable, actually. It will not be fulfilling. But when you live for Christ, you live for your God, it's fulfilling. It's fulfilling. But there is going to come a day when you're really going to be happy that you lived for Christ. And Christ was your reason for breathing. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 to 15. If you want to look at it in your own Bible, let's look at it. I'm going to read it to you now. It's on the screen here. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. For no one can lay a foundation, he's speaking about a local church, other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, the gospel. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation of the gospel of the resurrection with gold, silver, precious stone, or oh there's other material, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest. Notice we have work. For the day will disclose it. That's the day of the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, of believers. Not judged for your salvation, but for your works. And as, as Peter said, your stewardship, your stewardship of the gift God gave you and of all the blessings he gave you. There will be an accounting of that. The Lord will say, I've given you all these marvelous blessings. What did you do with them? Well, Lord, I hid them because I thought you were a very severe man. I didn't want to mess around with this. Because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, well now, wood, hay, and straw will not survive the fire. Gold, silver, and precious stones, they will survive. He will receive a Now, my dear friends... Jesus Christ is no man's debtor. Whatever you have done for him, it's not in vain. In fact, you will say when you get to the, before the Lord, "I wish I had done more," because he's no man's debtor. He's going to outpay you. You're going to say, "Well, I'm, I'm being rewarded for all this." I like Revelation, in, as he talks to the churches, he says, "I know your works. I know your works. I know your works." I don't remember what I did last week. In fact, I don't remember what I did two days ago. I sure don't remember what I did 40 years ago for the Lord. You know he remembers everything I did for him? Everything. And he's going to reward us in ways that we can't even imagine. And we'll say, well, if I'd only done more, Jip myself. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. There is... Irretrievable loss at the judgment seat of Christ. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, our life will go under the fire of Christ's judgment. Our sin was dealt with at Calvary. That's not going to be brought up. But our stewardship will be brought up because he says that same thing in 2 Corinthians 5 9 and 10, where he says, So, whether we are at home or away, Dead or alive, we make it our aim to please him. That's how we live, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And that's the second great passage, but there are other passages. There will be a testing, there will be an evaluation assessment of our rewards and our I mean, our, our our service and of our stewardship. You will appear before Christ. And uh, you can't excuse yourself on this one. His piercing fire will burn up wood, and stubble. It won't be spoken of guns. Irretrievable loss, Gone. Now, he'll talk about the silver and the gold and precious stones. And you will be rewarded for that. I think sometimes we forget about the judgment seat of Christ for believers. We forget about it. It's a real thing. It's as real as the new body we're going to get. And it will be before Christ, and I would not want to be embarrassed. I want to hear from the Lord, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. We have been called to work. We've been called to serve. We have been called to a very meaningful life, a a, a life that's so valuable. Don't waste it. Whatever gifts God has given you, whatever blessings he's given you, whatever health he's given you, whatever money he's given you, uh, whatever bodily strength he's given you, give it back to him. He died for you. It's only really logical. You can't live for yourself anymore because he already gave himself for you. So we live for him. We live for him. So I can't say anything more rich than be steadfast. Be be unmovable. Always, not temporarily, always be excelling more and more in the work of the Lord. Because you know, the work in the Lord is not in vain. It pays rich investments. If you want to get into investments, don't go to Charles Schwab. Go to (laughs) Jesus Christ pays big dividends. Let's pray. Lord, we know that you are no man's debtor, and you are a rich rewarder of those who serve you, and you pay us back far more than what anything we've done. May we be good servants. Help us to be steadfast and unmovable. Help us not just to be blown about by every wind of doctrine and this culture that's just so full of uh, brokenness and misery and lies and distortions. May we be like Daniel and purpose in our hearts to not be defiled by this world and all of its tools to manipulate us and our children and our families. Make us wise. Make us thoughtful men. May we be thinking people and may we walk in obedience to the great things you have given us to do. We have important lives to live. May we live it as unto you. Looking forward to the day when we stand before you and we hear, well done, my good and my faithful servant. Enter now into your rewards. Help us to these ends because we are weak and we are lazy and we get distracted so easily to these ends. We ask your help through the Holy Spirit of God. Amen.